Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing How the Wallflower Was Won by Eva Lee. This was published in 2022 and is the second in the Last Chance Scoundrel series. And a big thank you to Happily Ever Avon because thanks to them we have a complimentary copy for this review. Blue Jacket, or do we want to talk about the Last Chance Scoundrels first? I we have reviewed the first book in the series. It was earlier this year. She is publishing at an absolutely unbelievable rate. The second book in this series is—I mean, sorry—the third book in this series is scheduled for spring twenty twenty-three. Uh huh. Like I can't keep up with her. I can't keep up with it. Number one. But number two, thank God for you because I didn't have to wait a million years to find out about Finn. So, yeah, we have reviewed the first book in the series. I don't remember what it was called. It was called The Good Girl's Guide to Rakes. And we re-released re- re- that episode this past Monday, so you don't have to scroll back very far if you want our review on that before we review this one. Usually, this is where we'd insert a disclaimer that we are freely spoiling the previous books in the series. But other than spoiler alert, they end up together. I really don't think there'll be anything about the previous couple in this review. Yeah. Okay, now the book jacket. Now the book jacket. Finn Ransom is an expert on Lady Luck, which is why he refuses to take a chance on love. Experience has taught him that he's happier at a gaming table than around people he will inevitably disappoint. However, the clock is ticking on his father's matrimonial demands. But the only woman to catch his eye is a blue stocking who would never consider a rogue like him. After a disastrous first season, Tabitha Seaton decided to focus on books instead of ballrooms. She hopes to join the Sterling Society, a collective of the most brilliant, influential minds in London. Except they will never admit an unmarried lady. Now, Tabitha needs a husband, and a notorious, handsome gambler may be her best bet. Finn and Tabitha are opposites who have no intention of wagering on a love match. And a calculated marriage of convenience solves all their problems with no risk to their hearts. Once married, however, once married, however, their potent attraction boils over into a deep passion that neither expected. When a painful mistake drives the new lovers apart, Finn will risk it all to prove a scoundrel and a wallflower are a winning pair. The gambling metaphor is laid on a little thick, and this is literally the summary of the entire book. The whole book? I was going to say, this is a whole book. There are a lot of gambling metaphors for a book that doesn't have that much gambling in it. Yeah, he's made his money, or at least made his security. In gambling, but you see him at the tables once. Yeah, and he he does wager on other things. It's a stretch, though. It is a stretch. It's a stretch. It makes me think, it's making me think of that other book that actually had a ton of gambling in it by um, Sabrina Jeffries, uh, One Night with a Prince, I think. Oh, yeah, mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I I love from the the Princess Bastards series. That's not what it's called, <laughs> but that's what it is. Right, that's all the Princess Bastard series. 
the the Royal Brotherhood series. <laughs> ah. As usual, we generated a random number and then we used that number as a word count for summaries that we wrote. And for this episode, the random number was nine. I will start because, I don't know, Tabitha and Finn need spouses. Could they need each other? Because the summary didn't have a rhetorical question. Yeah. Meg needed to add it to her summary. (laughs) What's yours? Falling in love with your hot spouse is inconvenient. It's really rough for a marriage of convenience. Okay. To fall in love with a hot spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, tropes. Okay, so this is a marriage of convenience book, but he originally sees her as a suitable match for one of his BFFs. Mm-hmm. Luckily, the BFF is not into her, so this isn't like a con- conflict romance at all. But... The marriage of convenience and the agreement that it is convenient happens pretty close to halfway. Yeah, it's it's closer, you know, like 40, 45%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I actually really liked, I really liked this part because it combined marriage of convenience, which is great. I love that trope with the, like, I'm attracted to her, but she she should be with someone else trope. Yes. Like almost the engaged to their own brother trope, but she's never engaged. Well, and he's never interested. The other guy, yeah. Right. The equivalent of the brother is never interested. And so Finn is like, oh, yeah, I think I can hook you up with this woman. But of course, I don't know. It's, it reminds me of, you know, when you, you buy a present for someone and you think they're really going to like it but actually it was a present that you really liked and they maybe don't like it as much. That's literally never happened to me. Really? Well, (laughs) may have happened to me, you know, like I think, wow, this person's really going to like this. And they're like, Oh, thanks. And then like, Oh, that actually was kind of my style and not their style. Like they liked it, but maybe they didn't love it the way I thought they would. And that's what Finn thinks with Tabitha, because he's like, wow, she's this great girl. Dom is going to love her. And Dom was like, yeah, I mean, she's like, fine, you know? But it's because yeah, like, there's a superficial reason I think this is a great idea. Yeah. Anyway, I, I really liked that. Maybe that, okay, maybe I'm just like self centered when I buy gifts for people. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Or not not even buying gifts, but like I get really excited about some movie that I just saw and then someone watches it and they're like, yeah, it's fine. And I'm like, wait, what? You didn't love that movie as much as I did? You know? Or Maybe like that's really a better movie. this new Phantom of the Opera adaptation and you keep texting someone who's never seen Phantom of the Opera about it. I have texted, like, so I texted you. I've like DM'd five people to be like, hey, you should consider this book. It's really cool. <laughs> has everyone been like okay <laughs> some people were like yeah that sounds great and other people are like thanks smile <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh. alright so he's got dyslexia it's never named on the page but at this point that is a fucking trope a hero who has been successful in spite of his inability to read who is extremely and profoundly ashamed of his inability to read is a trope 
in and of itself. Yeah. And it's also the like brain versus brawn. She's smart. He's not. This can be a trope in a couple of ways. It can be a trope where, you know, she's the brains, he's the brawn, a la mummy or Mr. Impossible. But in those cases, I think the man is just there. They have enough confidence that it doesn't matter. Right. Right. This is unique. And that like, I'm not saying he's not physically powerful, but he's Mm -hmm. extremely smart in his own way and is more of a brains of the operation type. Yep. Who just hasn't felt empowered to be that. Right. He has a lot of like self-confidence issues, which is totally fair, you know? And again, part of the reason why they work so well together, honestly. Sure. Um, they both are sworn to stay detached and will not say I love you. <laughs> I love I, <laughs> Oh, God, I love this. It's so stupid and I love it. We praised the first book in this series for the very low stakes drama. Mm-hmm. And I think this book replicates that. And largely, I was really happy yes. about how good they were at communicating Except at the very ending of this book, there was a lot of like silent treatment shit that I didn't feel like felt very organic. Well, we will talk about that a lot, actually, because I think that. Yeah, I think that's the big discussion point. That's the talking point of this book. Let's be honest. Because everything else is just so unequivocally, unequivocally fun and great. And, And like perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And she is in a blue stacking society with lesbians, people of color, yeah. people who aren't accepted by the wider world. I think we see this a lot in various forms. Um, sometimes the blue stocking society is filled with women you will see as protagonists in future books. In this case, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's just women who are her friends but are stand-ins to represent other people othered by society. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't rub me the wrong way here. I think one of the things I really like about Evelie's books is that she presents a diverse society with no explanation or justification. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of, I'd way rather see this than fan whacking r- real life 1800s into a progressive society. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's the way you want to do it, just do it and don't explain it. Right. But. I think there is something problematic about having an extremely diverse society and making the only straight woman, straight white woman in it, your protagonist. Mm-hmm. Like it's relegating everyone else to background status. Yeah. I mean, we've I talked about this notice in the first book as much. Yeah. And we've talked about this a lot in different books about how on the one hand, you know, this, a white woman author is gonna like it's okay to write a white woman protagonist and then you also want to have a diverse cast of characters if you focus on if you have a black woman main character then that is problematic in its own way as well um no I think you're totally right and that there's like sort of no winning here but I feel like great fun with this book but I felt like the first book didn't delve quite as directly into some of these issues. So where it fell short wasn't as evident. Yeah, no, I, you're, you are correct. I agree. Okay, that said, I do think this is a trope-tastic book, very similar to the first one, in that yes. 
she evilly takes these tropes and she executes them just so well. Right? Well, she it's fantastic. And like he's got the toxic family of origin, and she's got the society of friends made family. And there's so many things that I feel like on other authors would give such significant page time. Mm-hmm. And here they're just stated as given so we can move on to the romance. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I agree. I loved that. I, I, I mentioned this already, but I really loved that the way the marriage of convenience developed was Finn identified her as someone who probably was ready to get married. And he's like, all right, I'm going to match her up with Dom. Because he was really, he was like, she's amazing. So like everyone will love her. Dom's going to love her, obviously, because she's so amazing, right? Yes. And so I, I just really liked that he like he was like, yeah, I identify her. And he's like, if I were going to get married, she'd probably be someone that I'd be into. But I, you know, can't read and she likes to read. And so we can't be a good match. Like that's, yes. <laughs> that's like, that's basically it, you know? Yep. I do like that his dyslexia was not the main conflict. Yes. So I really do appreciate that there wasn't a big deal about him lying to her or, you know, uh, he was trying to hide it really well, you know? I mean, he was trying to hide it, but she figured it out. I actually really liked that she figured it out too. He was like, I'm not very good at reading. And she's like, yeah. Obviously, I, I noticed up on that. And that's why I've been reading to you, you adult. Yeah. So that was really well done, in my opinion. I really liked it. Okay, I was saying that I really liked that his dyslexia wasn't the conflict. I agree. The fact that she kind of took it as a given mm-hmm. and did not judge him for him. Like, I, I really thought... It was refreshingly anachronistic that both of their main character trait and the thing that made them so compatible was the fact that they were both sort of not judgmental at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was like a really fun thing I didn't think I'd seen before. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think Eva Lee did a really good job of showing where it came from on both of their sides. Absolutely. Right. I mean, he had issues with, learning and education and classes and she did too but for a different reason right he did because he couldn't succeed academically traditionally academically and she did because um she wasn't able to have the same advantages as a a young man would and in fact there's a there's a part of the book that i really liked where um they talked about not having a a university education and they both talked about how they didn't have one, but for different reasons. Right. Um, I, and I thought it was great. I was like, wow, like that was a really, I just really liked the connection that they made there, that Evilly did. Well, and I thought it was interesting because the, the central, what you think is going to be the central conflict is that is his dyslexia. He can't read. Reading and intellectual pursuits are such a fundamental part of her being. When you're almost beaten over the head with how much they do have in common outside of those specifics. Mm-hmm. But I think where Evilee transcends the trope is in how 
the characters respond when confronted with that conflict. It's yes. instead of being made a thing, it's made a non-thing. And that was yes. great. Okay. So let's talk about what I think is the weakest part of the book and probably the one that's causing the most discussion and that will be the biggest thing discussed for us as well, okay. which is the actual conflict of the book. So what happens is, I guess slight spoilers, okay? They have a fight. They both say things that aren't very nice. <laughs> and then they both turn into like these wild drama queens. She like runs out of the house. He tries to find her. Then he's like, I'll move out of the house without them talking. He moves out of the house. Then she's like trying to find him, but she can't find him. Then when they do see each other, they have a discussion and then he leaves and she's like, no, wait, but then she can't find him on the street. Like it's a whole. It's like the last 20% of the book. And I thought it was a little bit like out of character and annoying. Yeah. But like ultimately the thing I like the most about Eva Lee is that her stories are pretty low conflict and low angst. Yeah. But I can understand why a romance novel author would feel the need to insert more of both things into the text. So I just mm -hmm. sort of hand wave it away as like her appeasing the masses. Yeah. I mean, there's that. I, I didn't, I didn't see this as being like Tabitha was being mean or no. Finn was being mean. Oh, they're both being dumb and petty and out of character, but it was a way to create a conflict in the final act. Yes. I, I thought it would have been more interesting if there had been more emphasis on both of their parts for being like these logical people. Because I think there was a little bit of it that they both prided themselves in being logical rather than emotional. Mm -hmm. Right? He's logical, observant. That's how he wins at gambling, all those things. She's logical. In fact, she's tried to suppress her emotions because of some things that happened to her in the past. And then when they have this fight, they both turn into like these raging balls of emotion. Both of them. Right. So I thought it was not a fight that I found inauthentic. It was the avoiding each other for two weeks that Correct. I found inauthentic. I totally agree with you. And anyway, I have heard a lot recently about how people really dislike Tabitha and feel that Why? because this is all Tabitha's fault this fight I thought it was so contrived I don't blame either of them yeah I agree I I I and I agree with you too that I could see the fight happening but I I don't think it should have led to two weeks of separation and a grant like it didn't need a grand gesture a grand gesture should have just happened because they loved each other anyway exactly yeah I didn't he said something relatively benign but that happened to be her trigger she lashed out and said something mean but not unforgivable like the track of the fight itself I think was fine and I don't think either of them were shitty characters for it mm -hmm. it was the the last 20% of the book is going to be them not speaking to each other that I was a little eye rolly about. Oh, absolutely. Totally agree. Um, I've also read a lot about how Tabitha is just unlikable anyway, not even because of this fight. Why? But because she's self-centered, because she doesn't take Finn's needs and wants into account. She's the one separating herself from the relationship. And I think it's 
I think it's quite interesting to read this as a double standard because how many books do we read where the hero does this stuff? The hero is the one who's like, I can't fall in love. The hero separates himself after sex. The hero is the one who doesn't support the woman's ambitions, which I think is incorrect. I think Tabitha does support his ambitions. It's just that he realizes, wait a minute, why do we need another gambling hell when we could actually like work on changing the, <laughs> the minds of the nation? Well, I also think it's interesting because I feel like even if the man is not going out whoring every night, invariably the man who avoids emotional attachment leaves the home, leaves the comfort and security of his wife, potentially seeks solace in other women or in the habits he had before his marriage. And in her case, she seeks solace in a library. And I'm not saying she's not running because she absolutely is. But I think it's interesting that in this book, Evilly says, all right, so she ran first, therefore I'm giving him an excuse to go slinking about town. Mm -hmm. When other male heroes just do that. like this is one of those things too that like you know it has emotional resonance because that's what's put on the page but like Mm -hmm. you just can't sleep so you go to your library that's not a big fucking deal yeah I propose to you that if you have an issue with Tabitha that you have some internalized misogyny you have to work on if you have some issues with Tabitha that you don't have with male heroes who do unequivocally greater degrees of abandonment Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's mean, but it's how I feel. And it did not occur to me that she was selfish for leaving bed. Yeah. It occurred to me that she was like running from shit, but I wasn't like mad at her for it. Yeah. And I I do think that that I personally am much easier on heroines than I am on heroes. I'm totally all about like dump that motherfucking asshole, like get rid of him. He's the worst. Like, why would you go back to him? But a heroine can do, like, some pretty horrible things. And I'm like, hey, patriarchy is bad. You know? Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I know this about myself. I on my own opinions about that on that level. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know what I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think about it. Basically, I just think I'm harder on heroes than I, than I am on heroines. I think that there's something to be said in modern romance about the emotional complexity granted to heroes versus heroines. I do think in some ways we're seeing the rise of the complicated heroine and the banal progressive male feminist TM. Mm-hmm. So I think there's more interesting things happening with heroines in romance novels right now because the trend is for all male heroes to be these sympathetic, understanding, women-supporting aristocrats. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a very small subset of romance that's out there, right? Like, we're not we're not thinking about dark romance. The historical we're thinking romance about that we are romance. reading that are being published right now, that's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there are more interesting things happening with heroines than heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm excited about what the generic hero is right now, yes. simultaneously. Yes. So I don't mean that as a criticism. Like, I'm really happy for these, like, anachronistically progressive men. Look, I'm sorry. But give me a guy like Finn. Every day. 
Every day, every day. Every but day. I do feel like a lot of the emotional complexity in romance novels is being driven by heroines right now. Yeah, I agree with you. And for me, that's that's not a problem because I'm like, yeah, she's got a reason to do that, you know? I'm like, she's been struggling her whole life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, content warnings. They, he's got a really fucked up traumatic childhood situation. She's dismissed by society for being a woman. I got nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's it. You know, like these things are there. Be aware of them. That Tabitha and Finn are amazing characters and are really nice to each other. Like her traumatic past is not violent or problematic at all. Her traumatic past? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So for all that we were hinting at, like, she's got emotional baggage, which she does. It is not anything I'd put a content warning for. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, I agree. How sexy was this book, Lane? This book would be literally fucking perfect if there was more sex in the last 75, in the last 25%. Yeah, I, I don't know. The only criticism I have about the sex. Otherwise, it was really hot. It was really fun. I bought their connection. I liked the way sex was used as an emotional building tool. It just, the dumb ass, we're not having sex because we're so busy right before we have a big ass fight. Yeah. I have to say, it's like it's like Finn made a pact that like he can't come until she comes at least twice. Bare minimum. Bare minimum, because there are scenes where she's like, again? Okay. There was carriage sex. Yep. There was bed sex. Bath sex. There was dining room table sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was all sex. very lovely. Yeah. They're, they're really good. Eva Lee is a quantity uh, over duration author. Quantity over duration, yeah, but the but what is there is also really good. No, I'm not saying it's not good. I'm saying it's a lot of really hot and very explicit, but a couple pages, except as for opposed the- to some of, except for the writing night. But it's not like anything is three pages long, like three chapters long. No, no, you're not going to have more than one chapter at a time. Right, like it's there's a lot of sex, but it is a lot of self-contained sex scenes spread out throughout 40% and 70% here. Yeah. It was um, extremely sexy. Yeah, no, it was hot. And I bought that they were into each other. And even before they were having sex, there was a lot of sexual tension. Yeah, I loved it. I really liked it. It was real good. When he's like trying to get her to court Dom and she's like, yeah, but I'm like kind of attracted to this guy. I have to keep looking at that guy over there. No way, because Finn is really hot. I don't know. It was just very nice. I liked it. It was very good. And I think Italy also, one of the things I really noticed in this book was how she tried to implement dirty talk. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, I thought it was really like hot but accessible. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of moments where I found what they were saying more funny than sexy. Mm-hmm. But in, like, a very cute way. Yeah. Like, it's okay sometimes. I, I think it's a real, it's a mark of a truly good romance author if you can laugh during a sex scene. Yeah. I was definitely laughing at them, not with them. 
I mean, you're not that. In like two of the way more than two sex scenes. Yeah. Like that, that one scene where he kept like leaning into the goddess shtick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I simultaneously get why she is into this, and I think it's a little cringe. Yeah. I mean, but that but was that's, cute. It was cute. That was cringe. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It worked. It worked for Tabitha, even if it didn't work for you. And I think that means that Evilly succeeded as an author. I agree. I just think it's what keeps e- this book from being a true, like, one-handed read for me. Oh, that's that's fine. This book is hot. It is fun. I recommend it. I'm really shocked to hear there's like controversy about the characters because they were so like fine in every major way. Uh, Like I really am looking forward. I I usually don't love the brooding second chance romance. I'm looking forward to the third one. Oh my God. I know. It's six months away, which girl get it. Or, like, maybe take a break. You're allowed to breathe. It's okay. I mean, yes, but, like, oh, my God, I still can't wait to read it, though. I'm very excited. Like, obviously, Eva Lee is ex- extremely talented. I love what she's doing with tropes, especially. I think mm-hmm. she's largely flawless in her execution. Uh, highly recommend. I think it's not even content warnings. It's just, like, tonally, the the conflict at the end gets a little bit like all right i'm flipping through this to get to the resolution it's just a little overwrought it's a little bit overwrought yes that's the word thank you meg yeah you're well you're you're very welcome but yeah it's it's just a little too much and i would have really loved as remember in the first book how the conflict was external and they were like how are we going to work together to solve this yeah i would have I just would have really loved that here. And they had a great, a great way to set it up. Thank you so much for listening. We would love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet, wherever you can find plot trists.